0: Well, good morning again. Uh, I'm going to take the time to introduce to you guys our guest speaker today. Um, This is uh, Drs. Mark and Linda Searby. And Dr. Mark, if you want to go ahead and come up here. Um, He was the the director of the Doctorate of Ministry program, and um, Gary Weber was one of his students, and uh, the best student you ever had, correct? Best student ever. Um, (laughs) And now he lives uh, in Florida. And um, he was also the uh, author of a book, and I'm horrible at book titles, but here it is. The Resilient Pastor, Ten Principles for Developing Pastoral Resilience. And so our Council of Trustees recently have, uh, have named Dr. Searby, um the director of a new ministry that we are launching here, and it is um, the Center for Pastoral Resilience. And so, Dr. Searby, what is the Center for Pastoral Resilience?
1: Okay, well, the center is uh, Ministry to Encourage and Equip and to Mentor Pastors and Other Christian Leaders. Uh, I think probably I can talk about it best by telling a story. Uh, there was a 24-year-old young pastor who was in his second pastorate, uh, fairly newly married, a recent father of uh, about a 15-month-old son. And he was, one day as he was in his office... Um, he was in great shape, but he's in his office and he called his wife and said, Honey, I think I'm having a heart attack. 24 years old, in great shape. Uh, but he had been through a stressful time in this ministry. He had followed a much loved pastor who had been there several years. And also, at the same time, very quickly, there had been a couple of conflictual situations in the ministry there. And so he calls his wife and says, I think I'm having a heart attack. Will you take me to the hospital? Mm-hmm. Well, she takes him to the hospital and comes to find out it wasn't a heart attack, but it was uh, in a stress-induced situation that felt like a heart attack to him. Mm-hmm. So the next week, this young 24-year-old pastor, second pastorate, still working on his seminary degree, resigns with no place to go. I was that young pastor. That was me. And I was this close to saying, that's it for ministry. I'm out of here. But praise God for some godly men and women who came alongside of myself and Linda. Uh, We were mentored and coached and uh, ended up staying in ministry, finishing seminary, and and have been in ministry now uh, for over 40 years uh, between local church pastorate and seminary teaching. So that kind of describes the ministry of the center is for us, for me, to come alongside uh, young pastors, middle-aged pastors, older pastors, so that they can build resilience, which means that they can finish well in their ministries. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of it in a nutshell.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you. I'm going to clap for this (laughs) because… Okay. Being a pastor's kid, I saw all the uh, nuances of church, for lack of a better word, Um, and so thank you for the ministry that you do, because I know there are plenty of pastors um, who who have fallen away that really needed something (laughs) like this. So I'm going to go ahead and pray for you, um, right. Mr. Uh, or Dr. Mark Sirby. Um, you may remember from a discipleship conference that we did back in February. Um, he taught me about the rule of life, which I have still failed to completely apply. So please forgive me. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I have to confess that to the teacher on stage. Um, but uh, thank you for, for all that you did during that conference as well. Sure. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I thank you for, for Dr. Mark Searby and, and just um, even personally how he's challenged me to, to look at my life and, and just to, uh, to look and say, okay, how do I completely uh, control um, the things that I can control, Lord, to, to better be a servant and a disciple of you? So I pray for this message today that you can just speak to all of our hearts wherever we are. But I also thank you for this new uh, Center for Pastoral Resilience, God, that you can help to impact the lives of people, of, of many men who, um, who may have fallen away if they were in a situation just like Dr. Mark. And so I pray uh, for, for that situation, Lord, that there are plenty of pastors like that out there right mm-hmm. now. But Lord, that they can find a home here um, where they can be rejuvenated for, for the long haul, or because uh, even being a pastor is not a sprint, but it's a marathon. That's right. And so just pray for this message today and pray for everything you do in his ministry. Pray, Always sings your name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you. Well, I want to say thank you to Gary and to Southside Church for partnering with me and us partnering together in this new ministry. And please keep this in your prayers, uh, as our prayer is that many young leaders, developing leaders, will build resilience so that they will finish well. Uh, I could give you a lot of statistics, I won't, won't bore you with those, but the statistics suggest that as many as 50% of young seminary graduates, as many as half of them, will not be in pastoral ministry in less than seven years. And that is tragic, that is sad. And so I believe that this is a very important ministry that can help the kingdom of God overall. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you would please. I know that uh, Brother Gary's been preaching about the Apostle Paul and his ministry through the book of Acts, and so today we're going to be looking at another point in Paul's life and his ministry, it doesn't follow exactly well with Gary's series, but I'm trying to, to take off from Paul's work and Paul's ministry as we look at Paul and his relationship with his young protege, whose name was Timothy. Paul, at the near the end of his life, shortly before he would be beheaded uh, in Rome— uh, wrote what we believe to be his last letter to this young church leader in Ephesus named Timothy. It's our letter of Second Timothy. And Paul writes this letter. And we come toward the end of this letter in what is for us Second Timothy chapter 4. And we come to verse 6. And so if you would, listen, follow along as I read Second Timothy 4, 6 through 8. Paul says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. What an incredibly confident statement to make. That statement could not be made except by a person whose life had prepared him for death. And so Paul gives that confident assertion in this passage. As Timothy is reading this letter, his young protege, to whom he had been a partner in ministry for several years, as Timothy listened to this, as he read it, I think there was a fundamental question that must have come to Timothy's mind. A fundamental question that really could be stated in two different ways. First of all, I think Timothy was thinking, will I finish the race of life myself? Will I finish the race of life well? But he could also think about it in another way. Will I faithfully complete my leg in the relay race of kingdom living, and pass on the baton to other faithful people. Will I finish the race of life faithfully? Will I finish the race well? Now, there are some of you in this audience this morning who are further down (laughs) the road of that race, like me, And some of us think of that question fairly frequently. Will I finish the race well? There are others of you in here who are maybe in your teen years or maybe early college years, and maybe that question has never entered your mind. Will I finish the race well? Because you're not even thinking about the end of the race. And that's okay, but I would like to ask you to wrestle with that question today. Will I finish well? When Timothy read this letter, Timothy was only in his mid-30s. And he was wrestling, will I finish well like my mentor, Paul? Will I be faithful in completing my leg of this relay race and will I pass the baton on to the next generation when I leave this earth? You see, that fundamental question really gets at the heart not only of the ministry of the Center for Pastoral Resilience, but I believe it gets at the heart of an issue for the church today. Because as I look at the church today, I see many believers who have already dropped out, who have taken a huge detour, who have no inclination, at this point at least, to finish well or to pass the baton to the next generation. I think it's a major issue. But it's been a major problem for pastors and other pastoral leaders for decades. There was a study that was done a few decades, about three decades ago, by a professor at Fuller Seminary who discovered that seven out of ten Christian leaders do not finish well. Seven out of ten do not finish well. They either fail out or burn out or they plateau and they do not finish the race. They do not pass the baton to the next generation. I was in pastoral ministry, local church pastoral ministry for 24 years. My last pastor was in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois. If any of you happen to know where that is, if you send a check to State Farm Insurance, it goes to Bloomington, Illinois. Okay, so that might help you. That's where my last pastorate was. I was there 13 years. I was enjoying my ministry. I love pastoring. I love preaching and teaching. I had no intention to leave when Lincoln Seminary, my alma mater, asked me to consider coming on faculty there. I first said, no, not interested. They came back and said, Would you consider? And I said, well, at least this time I'll pray about it. (laughs) First time I didn't even pray about it. I just said no. I said, I'll pray about it. And the thing that convinced me to change to that ministry was as I looked around me and looking at all of the Christian leaders who were failing out or burning out or who were just leaving ministry for some reasons. And so I said, yes, Lord, if you can use me in this seminary teaching, mentoring, coaching role, that's what I'll do, even though I love pastoral ministry. And so that's what I've done for the last 20 plus years. And helping leaders and other Christians answer that question, will I finish well? Now, Let me go back at the beginning of this relationship of Paul and Timothy. So turn back if you would, or I think it will be on the screen for you. We go back to Acts, the end of chapter 15, the beginning of chapter 16. Now I know Brother Gary shared this with you two weeks ago in the message, but just as a quick review, as you go back into Acts 15, Paul is getting ready. Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to go on their second missionary journey. At the end of chapter 15, I won't take time to read all of this, but in verse 37 it says, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. He had been with them on the first journey, but he had dropped out. Paul, verse 38, Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them. So verse 39, there arose a sharp disagreement, so they separated. That is, Barnabas and Paul separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and went to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas. So you have that sharp division. Barnabas takes John Mark, goes one direction. Paul takes Silas, goes another direction. But then at the beginning of chapter 16... Paul then came to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And let me just stop there. So they're on their second missionary journey. Paul and Silas recruit Timothy, who at the time was in his early 20s. They recruit him, he goes with them on their missionary journey, and for the next 15 to 18 years, Timothy is either on the journey with Paul, or Paul leaves him in places for him to be the pastor, leader of a local body of believers. That's how that relationship began. Paul recruits Timothy to go with him. Now when you read, and I won't take time to read this for the sake of time, but I have on the, should be on the slide, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 and following, Paul talks about his relationship with Timothy and how he becomes like a son to him and how he is important to him in his ministry. So that's how the relationship began. Paul becomes Timothy's mentor, becomes his coach, becomes his spiritual father. And then they minister together. Now, let's go back to the end of where we began just a while ago. Back to the finish, going back to 2 Timothy once again. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, which we just read, Paul's testimony about his finishing well, look at the end of verse 5. 2 Timothy 4, 5, Paul says to Timothy, As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, Do the work of an evangelist. And then what does he say? Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Timothy, I've been with you these 15 to 18 years. I've mentored you. You've watched me preach and teach. You've seen me minister. I've been your mentor. I want you to fulfill your ministry because I am about to pass on the baton to you. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul says to Timothy, entrust what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Paul knew, my life's about over. My life's about over. Timothy, you fulfill your ministry. Timothy, here's the baton to pass on to the faithful people who will then pass on to the next generation faithful people and on and on. And folks, it comes down to us today and we have received the good news of Christ because of faithful people throughout the centuries. So Paul says, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Finish your ministry. Now, let me say this. We cannot finish well accidentally. It just doesn't happen. You cannot finish well accidentally. It takes intentionality. That's part of my work with pastors and other leaders, is to let them know. You mentioned the rule of life. What is the rule of life? The rule of life is a structure. It's like the trellis of a plant, that the plant grows up. It has a structure that it can keep growing and bearing fruit. That's what a rule of life is. It's a structure that helps you to be intentional about running the race and finishing well. Some of you in this room have been practicing a rule of life without even knowing it. But you have to be intentional about it. Whenever I was in high school, I was on the mile relay team. Now it's called the 1600 meter relay. I was on the mile relay team. I was the second runner in the race. And so in order for us to win the mile relay in our meets... We had to practice diligently. We not only practiced because each of us was running a quarter of a mile, we weren't practicing just for our quarter of the mile, but what else were we practicing? That's right, the handoff. Because in the handoff, you can lose several seconds in the race. Or more tragically, you can drop the baton and it's over. It's done. We spent time... Running so we could run well our leg, but we also spent a lot of time practicing the handoffs. We were intentional. Paul tells Timothy to train yourself for godliness. That word training is the word gumnazo, which means gymnasium, where we get our word gymnasium. It's about training, about being intentional in running the race. And so you can pass the baton to the next generation. It doesn't just happen. Paul knew that. Timothy knew that. So the question today that I'll try to answer, and I'll I'll keep this as brief as I can. And I'm only going to bring out three principles, three keys for finishing well. There are many more just in 1 and 2 Timothy. But let me just bring out what I think are three of the most significant ways, three of the keys for finishing well. First of all is what I simply refer to as intimacy with Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus. Flip back in 2 Timothy to chapter 1. In chapter 1, starting in the middle of verse 12, Paul gives his own testimony. I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So Timothy Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Paul was convinced of his relationship with Jesus. I am convinced... Because I have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, Paul said that in a little different way over in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, Paul said it this way But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I count everything else as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. Can you say that? Can you say I count everything? Everything else is rubbish. What I own, what I have, it is rubbish. For the sake of knowing Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus. Folks, it's not just knowing about Jesus. It's knowing Jesus. One of the temptations for pastors and other Christian leaders is to go through Bible college or seminary or both And to say, get to the end of that master's degree, which is called the master of divinity, the danger is to believe that. That I'm a master of divinity. That's just the name of a degree. The journey with Jesus must continue, and I must know him, and not just know about him. This morning I want to challenge you in your walk, in your journey with Jesus as you're running this race is that an intimate relationship that you know him? That is it deeper than just knowing about him? That's one of the keys to finishing well. Because there will be days there will be days in our journey that we'll be tempted to give up. We'll be tempted to just say forget it. And that's when we need to cling to Jesus and that relationship with him. Let me move on to the second one. There's so much more I could say about all of these, but let me move on to this what I think is the second key and that is a network of mentors. That we have a network of mentors. In other words, I call them relationships with a purpose. We have relationships with a purpose. We understand I'm not a Lone Ranger Christian. I can't do it on my own. I need a network of relationships. When we look at Jesus' ministry, you know how it was with Jesus. What did he do? He selected 12 men who would live with him and be with him for three years, and then he entrusted to them this great mission that would change the world. He had a network of relationships. He had relationships with a purpose. Then when we go to the book of Acts and we go to the story of Paul, what happened with Paul? Paul gets converted on the road to Damascus. He had been persecuting the church. He wants to go to the church in Jerusalem. And what happens there? Barnabas takes Paul, introduces him to the apostles in Jerusalem Barnabas is the mentor for Paul and then later on Paul becomes the mentor to Timothy and Titus and others. It is a network of relationships. There's a Barnabas, there's a Paul, there's a Timothy. And together they fulfill that great mission that they've been given. I believe as believers today Whether you're a pastor, a teacher, whatever your role is, I believe that we all need to have a Barnabas and a Paul and at least one Timothy in our lives. We all need a Barnabas who is alongside of us, encouraging us, introducing us to others, helping us to network. We all need a Paul who's investing in our lives and pouring into us and coaching us and encouraging and teaching us. But we all also need at least one Timothy into whom we are pouring the faith, the gospel, so that they will do what? Pass the baton to the next generation. As you think about it today, Is there a Barnabas, a Paul, and a Timothy in your life right now? You'll need to answer out loud. Many of you could say, well, I could name several Pauls who were in my life, who encouraged me and coached me and helped me. I know that I could, but is there someone in your life right now? Is there a Barnabas in your life? Is there a Timothy into whom you are pouring your life and discipling? We need to have a network of mentoring relationships. Another question under this, I think we need to ask is this Who is investing in your life today? Who regularly asks you, How is your soul? How is your soul doing? I was in pastoral ministry for 24 years. Folks, I only need that many fingers to number the church leaders who ever asked me, Mark how's your soul doing? Two times in 24 years. Now I had some friends, I had some a Barnabas or two who would ask me that but a church leader, I only had two different men who ever asked me how's your soul? That's tragic. If you have not asked Brother Gary or other staff members, ever ask them, how's your soul? I want to encourage you. Don't just say, well, Gary, how's this ministry going? Or how's that program? But how is your soul? Because I want to invest in you. But beyond that, I would also ask, in whose life are you making an investment? In whose life are you making an investment? I can remember different times when I have gone to young pastors and I have said to them, I'll just pick one guy's name, a young man in Birmingham, he began his first pastorate I said Marcus would you be interested in getting together once a month in a mentoring relationship would you be interested in getting together and talking about how you're doing, how your family's doing how your ministry's going because I would like to invest in you and Marcus and I met monthly for the next four years Is there someone into whom you're pouring and investing your time and your energy? Barnabas, Paul, Timothy. We need a network of relationships. Let me quickly move to the last. We must rely on the Holy Spirit. We must rely on the Holy Spirit if we're going to finish well. Let me go back again to 2 Timothy let me go back to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul said to Timothy in verse 7 God gave us, he's speaking to Timothy, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self control. Gave us a spirit of power and love and self control. In verse 14, we've already read it, but he said to Timothy, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. In Ephesians chapter 1, in one of his prayers, Paul says it is the Spirit who you need to rely upon. It is the Spirit of wisdom and knowledge who will help you to know God better, more intimately. We must rely on the Holy Spirit. Now, if you would, go to the next slide. Because I think this is the key of relying on the Holy Spirit. Reliance on the Holy Spirit will require that we slow down and resist the busyness which is so valued in our culture. As Dallas Willard said, hurry is the great enemy of our soul. Let me go back to that question. Does anybody ask you, how's your soul? For those of you who are working, let's say you're working in the insurance business. Do you ever get the question from somebody, how's your soul? No, you get the question, how many apps have you taken? How many people have you talked to? How many more can you do next week? It just goes on and on, and we get busier and busier, and then we get home and we have this activity and that activity. We have this pulling us one way, this pulling us another way. And before long, our soul is completely shriveled. Hurry is the great enemy of our soul. And we get so busy, so distracted, so disintegrated in our soul. That we don't even think about Am I finish am I going to finish well? Am I going to pass a baton to someone else? Bring up the scripture from Romans twelve. I've I've included here the message translation of Romans twelve because I like the way that Peterson does these two verses. Here's Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Romans twelve, one and two. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Listen to this next paraphrase. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. The way Paul says it in the literal translation is don't let the world conform you or squeeze you into its mold. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And I see so many believers today who are so enculturated that there is no difference. And they just fit into the culture without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. To rely on the Holy Spirit means we slow down, we put on the brakes, and we begin to reflect upon His ministry in us so that we can be who he wants us to be, so that we can be running the race well, ultimately finish well, and then pass the baton to the next generation. Final two questions that I think we must ask. Are you living in such a way that you will finish well, and will you pass on the baton to other Christ followers. I want to close before I pray. And I think I may have shared this example in our spiritual formation seminar, but if you weren't here and maybe you didn't hear that, when I think about finishing well, I think not morbidly so, but I think about my funeral. And I think about when my body is laid out in that casket. That when my two boys and my four grandchildren walk by, that their thoughts are not about what grandpa left them or what inheritance or what was in the will my prayer is that when my two boys and their wives and my four grandchildren walk by they say grandpa finished well dad passed on the baton Will you finish well? Will you pass on the baton to the next generation? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness to us. Would you help us through the power of the Holy Spirit and through an intimate relationship with you, would you help us to be faithful And when we stumble and fall, Lord, we need your strength. We need the Spirit to lift us up and to restore us. And Lord, we need brothers and sisters who will run alongside us so that when we stumble or when we're thinking about giving up, that we can encourage one another, that we can lean upon one another and say, it is worth it, keep running the race, keep running and pass the baton. And so, Lord, my prayer for my brothers and sisters here at Southside, my prayer for pastors and other leaders today and in the future would be, Lord, that you would grant us that spirit of perseverance and resilience that we may finish well. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.